coming out again tonight. Uh, tonight we start a new series. I'm going to be looking at the life of Paul. Appreciate everyone who participated in our service tonight, and again, I thank you for coming back. As we begin looking at the life of Paul, we're going to focus the first couple of weeks on his life prior to his conversion. I've heard that I've always loved biographies. I have from the time that I was very small, and I read a lot of different biographies when I was younger. A lot of them were about uh, sports people, and uh, I enjoyed reading about uh, different athletes in their lives. And I have here, there is great value in reading biographies. One of the great values is that they can be inspiring. And I'm going to date myself and tell you about Bill Russell. I don't know how many of you can remember Bill Russell. He was the center for the Boston Celtics. How many remember that name? Okay, so you 12, I'll talk to you, all right? And, uh, but uh, back in the day, Bill Russell was an excellent uh, basketball player. There were two outstanding centers in the NBA at that time. They were Walt, uh, Wilt Chamberlain and uh, Bill Russell. Wilt Chamberlain was known for his offense, uh, having scored over 100 points in a single game. Bill Russell was known for his defense, so it was always great when the Lakers and the Celtics met because you had the offensive Will Chamberlain coming up against the uh, defensive uh, Bill Russell. Well, the unique thing about Bill Russell is he's six foot eleven, which is not huge by today's standards for a center, but he was six foot eleven, and he was cut every year from the high school basketball team. Now think about that. You think that just by being six eleven, you might make the team. But he was so dopic that he was uh, cut from high school basketball every single year. He went out for basketball in his freshman year and was cut. It wasn't until his sophomore year that he actually was able to play organized basketball, and then he turned out to be an NBA uh, giant. Well, that was inspiring, because I made the team in high school. All right, so... The future looked bright, but uh, not all that bright, believe me. Uh, so, um, but it can be inspiring, all right? I enjoyed reading biographies. I really enjoy reading autobiographies. Of course, biographies are books that are written about a particular individual by someone else. An autobiography, of course, is that person's own memoirs oftentimes taken from a diary or they uh, choose to sit down and write their own biography. I like autobiographies for I find them to be a little more honest. A lot of times biographies only talk about the strengths of an individual and uh, sugarcoat some of their weaknesses. But I find that autobiographies are much more honest, especially diaries where people are struggling with issues and it helps you understand what makes people tick, uh, what keeps them going. Well, tonight we're going to look at a biblical narrative. We're going to look at the material about the Apostle Paul. And I have here, we had the best of both worlds. 
because we have uh, all of the information you would expect to find in a biography, as well as the weaknesses and uh, some of the faux pas that we'd expect to find in an autobiography. And as we stitch together numerous passages in the New Testament, we're able to get a pretty good picture of the Apostle Paul. And that's my hope through this series, that we'll get a better picture and appreciation for the grace of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. So why a study of the life of Paul? Uh, first, he's the most important figure in the New Testament and early church after the person of Lord Jesus Christ. He authored more New Testament books than any other individual. He planted more churches than any other individual. And he is held up as an example more than any other individual. The Bible first introduces us to Saul as a fierce persecutor of the church. It is in the book of Acts, of course, that we are introduced to Saul, but we're told nothing about his upbringing. We have to get that from other portions of Scripture of which the Apostle Paul shares uh, some of that upbringing. We're going to look at that next time to help understand what motivated Paul in his persecution of the church. But we're first introduced to him as a fierce persecutor of the church. The fact that Saul was a fierce persecutor of the church is essential in understanding his later relationship to God and the church. In fact, it's in Timothy that Paul says that this served as an example of grace. If God could be gracious to Paul, certainly he could be gracious to anyone. Saul refers to himself as the chief of sinners. He, we are presented first with the fact that he is a persecutor of the church. Later, we will better understand what motivated him to be such a fierce persecutor of the church. We're not really told why he had such a hatred for the people of God. We're just introduced right off with his hatred for the people of God. Next time, we're going to unpack why he had such hatred for the people of God. But the violence and hatred exhibited in his past is key to understanding the grace that he received and the transformation that he underwent after his conversion. We really want to emphasize the tremendous change that took place from a Saul to a Paul. And it took place in many dramatic ways. And one of the most dramatic is that he moved from being a persecutor in which his goal was to put people to death to a place where after his conversion, he persecuted no one. His response to his persecutors was not to retaliate. He did not persecute at all in trying to bring about conversion, in trying to bring people in the kingdom of God. He did not try to use force. He did not try to use threats. He didn't try to use imprisonment. He did not rely upon violence or force in any way to try to bring about people's conversions. That's a tremendous change in his behavior and his conduct. I'll say more about that at the end. But let us begin by, number one, Saul is present 
at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the original deacons chosen in Acts 6, if we can refer to them as such. They're not really called that in the scripture, but I believe that they were the forerunners to the deacons. And uh, he, that is Stephen, is described as a person full of faith in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. He, that is Stephen, was full of grace and power, verse 8, and Stephen full of grace and power. When he spoke, he was full of wisdom, but they could not understand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen was arrested and gave a great defense of his faith in Acts chapter 7. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. So when he gave a defense for the gospel, uh, it did not convict those that heard, but rather angered them even more. Nevertheless, verse 55, but he fooled the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Stephen was stoned due to his faith. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So here is this remarkable martyrdom of Stephen. And as he is dying, as he is uttering his last breath, his prayer is for his persecutors. And he prays that God would not lay it to their charge, that God would not hold it against them. That, that God would forgive them for this act of murdering Stephen. And Paul, who is at this point named Saul, is the benefactor of that prayer. That the desire of Stephen to see some of his persecutors actually come to faith is realized in Saul. But, number, but B, uh, Paul was right there when Stephen was stoned. When they saw him, when they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. <clears throat> of course, at this point, Saul has not yet been called Paul, but nonetheless, Saul or Paul was there. Paul consented to the stoning of Stephen, and Saul approved of his execution. Number one, Saul was convinced that Stephen should die. Saul was in agreement with stoning Stephen. Whether that agreement was formal or informal, we cannot be sure. Uh, there is some argument, not a great deal, but there's some argument as to whether or not at this point Saul is actually a member of the Sanhedrin. I think the, the, it's pretty clear that he was. And if he was, he was in fact casting a formal vote uh, against the uh, death of uh, Stephen. But even if he wasn't a member of the, of the Sanhedrin at this point, nonetheless, he is 
in agreement with what is taking place. I put in Acts 26, verse 10, for this is Paul's own testimony and witness. He said, and I did so in Jerusalem, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So here is this aspect of being a part of the Sanhedrin and casting his vote against those that were preaching the gospel. D, Stephen's execution was only the beginning of the persecution that the church would experience. Acts 8, verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. The scripture pictures this as being the first in a long line of martyrs in the church. That on that day, on that very moment, uh, a great flood of persecution came against the church. Two, Saul was personally involved in the persecution of the church. Saul was not positively affected by the death of Stephen. The believers lamented the death of Stephen, Acts 8, verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Two, however, Saul experienced no remorse in the death of Stephen. Verse 3, but Saul, but Saul. Some of your uh, translations say and Saul. But Saul, though, is a better translation for it's not the word for and, it's a, it's a conversive word that means but. It's a word of contrast. We have here two different groups. We have the devout individuals who were lamenting uh, Stephen's death, but over opposed to these devout people that are lamenting Stephen's death, Saul is just motivated by Stephen's death, not regretting one iota about what has just taken place, but now even more bloodthirsty. B, Saul became even more active and seeking to harm or destroy the church as a whole. But Saul was ravaging the church. Ravaging the church. Uh, it's an extremely strong word to ravage. Uh, it means to do great physical harm to, or it means to seek to eradicate. And we can see that both were in the heart and mind of Saul. He wanted to cause believers pain, he wanted to cause them hardship, and he was trying to totally annihilate. He wanted to remove that witness from the face of the earth, and that is no exaggeration. C. Saul was methodically persecuting believers and entering house after house. He, in a very methodical way, went door to door in order to arrest and to uh, oppose those that had uh, named the name of Christ. Saul was not having mercy upon anyone. Verse 3, he dragged off men and women. Uh, Merciless. Saul handed those whom he rounded up over to be imprisoned and committed them 
to prison. Next, we see that Saul personally extended the region of persecution. The persecution in Jerusalem resulted in the believers fleeing Jerusalem and taking the gospel with them. Verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So, in response to this persecution, in response to Paul's, excuse me, Saul's activity, many believers were getting out of Dodge. They were leaving Jerusalem and they were starting to go into the countryside, into other towns and villages. And as they went, they took the gospel with them. B, uh, Saul was not satisfied with persecuting the church just in Jerusalem. Verse 1, but Saul, again in contrast, Saul is going to continue on. As the disciples spread to other regions, so did Saul's persecution of them. He went after them. He wasn't satisfied that he was just purging the city of Jerusalem. He wanted to deliver them from the face of the earth. Saul issued severe warnings to those who identified with Jesus. But Saul, still breathing threats. Uh, Saul actually had some of those who were taken into custody killed, but still threatening, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Acts 26, verse 10. Again, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison and receiving authority from the priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So here he is uh, actively seeking to murder those that were identifying Christ. Saul took the initiative to broaden the persecution. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. My point here is that, note, he was not summoned by the high priest and charged with this responsibility or duty. No one said, Saul, we have a job for you to do. Uh, we think that this is a sect that ought to be persecuted. We need somebody that is going to stand against them. Will you be that individual? Uh, he volunteers for the job. But not only does he volunteer for the job, the job didn't exist. He created it. He went to the high priest and said, I want authority to persecute these individuals. It was totally of his initiative. Number two, he went voluntarily, he voluntarily went to the high priest and petitioned to have the persecution expanded. Verse two, and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. So he goes and says to the high priest, I want to continue to persecute these, these Christians. I want to have letters that authorize me, deputize me, if you will, uh, empower me to go to Damascus and begin to persecute the Christians that are there. But I need authority to do that. F. Saul wanted to snuff out 
any allegiance to Christ. He asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that, now note this, if he found any belonging to the way, if he found any, he didn't even know for sure that there were any Christians there. Word had not come back to Jerusalem about any activity on the part of Christians that they were gaining any kind of foothold, that they were having any kind of influence. He wasn't even sure that there were Christians there, but he was going to go and he was going to find out. And if there were any there, this was his intent. Saul wanted to try these individuals where they'd be, uh, uh, he wanted to snuff out any allegiance. And G, Saul wanted to try these individuals where they'd be treated the harshest. And asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wanted to take them back. Uh, at this point, it is not illegal to be a believer. Okay, we're not uh, in that part of Rome's period yet. Uh, there was nothing illegal about it. Uh, it was not a matter of Roman law. It was a matter of Jewish law. And even the Jewish law had not yet extended to the other environs. This was new stuff. This was things that uh, the Jewish people didn't know what to do, do with. And so Saul said, give me this authority and I'll bring them back to Jerusalem and we'll try them there. Couldn't try them in Damascus for uh, it wouldn't have been illegal. But he said, let me bring them bound and we'll bring them back to Jerusalem and we will cause them great harm and we'll imprison them and we'll kill them. All right, so I think you get a sense of the the fierceness of his heart, the uh, insatiable desire to eradicate this group of people. So conclusion from tonight. First, we're to see that through Stephen at least, Saul was familiar with the gospel of Christ. We know that he is present at the stoning of Stephen. We know that the testimony of Stephen took place immediately before the stoning. It was the testimony of Stephen that was what provoked the Sanhedrin to such a degree that they wanted him stoned. We know that he was in agreement with the decision to have Stephen stoned. Therefore, he must have heard this incredible witness and testimony of Stephen. I didn't put that in there for you, but uh, he goes all the way back uh, uh, to Abraham and explains the covenants and explains who Christ is, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Saul heard all that. Didn't phase him. Didn't bring conviction. Didn't bring conversion. I think there's a, a great lesson to be learned there. And that is that many, many times uh, people don't accept Christ the first time they hear. Many people do not respond on the first invitation 
to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just out of curiosity, how many of you heard the gospel more than one time before you were converted? Will you raise your hand? Look around. That's the majority by far of individuals, okay? So don't give up on people. If anyone is the last person in the world that you would think would ever come to faith, it's got to be Saul. And uh, Saul tells us that much in uh, the book of Timothy, and we'll look at those passages in the days that lie before us. But here's a precursor to that idea. So don't give up on people. Don't think that they are so belligerent, so uh, against the things of, of God that they can never be converted. I would submit to you that there is no member of ISIS that hates Christians any more than Saul did. Okay? Just think about that for a moment. We think of certain uh, Islamic elements uh, who want to practice a jihad, who want to see Christians uh, wiped off the face of this earth. That's not every Islamic individual. But there are the radicals, and that is their view. And whatever you may think about them, put Saul in that camp. He wants to wipe out Christianity from the face of this earth. Not exactly the greatest candidate for salvation, but God is going to do a tremendous work in his heart. So B, we're to see that Saul was fiercely opposed to the cause of Christ. We're to see that his opposition was more fierce than his contemporaries. Uh, there was no one who matched Saul in his desire to see the church persecuted. There was no one else that went to this length of seeking authority from the high priest to be able to go into environs and to find his, his enemies. D, we are to see the unlikeness of one such as Saul ever coming to place faith and allegiance in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are to marvel at the change that takes place. We're to marvel at the grace of God. Uh, we are just to stand in amazement as we look at this young man. And let me point out to you that he is a young man. He is not converted as a child. You know, modern statistics, these are old statistics. I have not seen recent statistics uh, they're 25 to 30 year old statistics but in that period of time in that era I know that the statistic was that 80% of people that come to faith come to faith before they're uh, 10 years old 80% of Christians uh, let's just work it out here how many of you accepted the Lord before you were 11 raise your hand wow look at that uh, look around that, that's an awful lot of people uh, Saul is not a, a 10 or 11 years old. He's a young man. And yet, a person who is stayed in his ways, a, perf a person who understands why he's opposed to Christianity, well, next week we're going to look at how he is steeped in Judaism, how committed he is to his religious beliefs that are incompatible with Christianity. Uh, here is a guy that you would just never, ever think would change. 
but God gets a hold of him. And uh, he's a trophy of the grace of God. Uh, don't stop praying for loved ones. Don't stop praying for enemies. Don't stop praying. Don't stop witnessing. Don't give up on anyone until they die. Uh, we don't know what God might do in the life of an individual. I didn't have time to put this together with the... Uh, other early years, when I say not enough time, I knew it was going to take more than uh, 40 minutes. So I decided to cut this short rather than have to try to jam all this into one night. But uh, go home and think about those truths. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the grace that is shown to the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we're thankful for the grace that you have shown to us. As many of us can bear witness to the fact that we too heard more than once the gospel before we yielded to the truth of your message. And Lord, there, there may be someone here tonight that has heard and heard and heard and heard that uh, could explain the gospel to someone else and yet never have truly yielded in their own heart. I, I pray if there's anyone like that here tonight that they would, this very evening, yield their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, uh, give us that uh, faith uh, not to stop witnessing, uh, not to stop sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with even those that are most antagonistic to the message. For who knows what your great plan is and what you are going to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a great night.